is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. For me, today's a good day. Spring is the reason you live in New Orleans, and it's beautiful outside. I needed a hoodie to walk the dog this morning, and it will border on hot later this afternoon. I'm also fully vaccinated and have been for a week now, so every day feels a little closer to a version of normalcy. I'm not so bold as to feel pre-COVID normalcy, but the ambient anxiety that's been with me like an inexplicable growth for the last 12 months is lessening. Having lived so long in a city that specializes in provisional victories, I'll take it. One of the things that inspired 12 songs is the sheer breadth of genres that have Christmas music representatives. If you listen to a genre, there's a good chance that Christmas songs have been recorded in it. In the last few months, I've been exploring some of those, whether it's indie rock, jazz, prog rock, or punk. Today's episode detours down a very specific avenue of electric music with Dr. Octorock, who recorded chiptune Christmas songs on his 2008 album, 8-Bit Jesus. Chiptune refers to music made using the programmable sound generator found in vintage video game consoles. Because of that, chiptune or 8-bit tracks tend to sound like video game music. The sound generators are monophonic, which means they can play individual notes but not chords. That creates musical limitations, as does the very specific sonic vocabulary. Those limitations, paired with video game nostalgia, led a number of people to experiment with chiptunes to see what they could do. In 2009, blogger Andy Bayo released Kinda Bloop, a chiptune recreation of Miles Davis' classic album, Kinda Blue. I'm generally more interested in chiptune than I'm actually in love with it. And while I love projects like Bayo's and a number of similar experiments, I eventually slot them into the same place I put contortionists and jugglers. Yes, you can do it, but is there a good reason to? Levi Buffum is Dr. Octorock, and since he introduces himself in the episode, I won't talk more about that here. Other than that, he solves some of the 8-bit challenges that keep me at arm's length from others. When I reached out to him to set up time to talk, it was after I saw a crowdfunding campaign to try to raise money to put out a vinyl version of his 8-bit remake of The Flaming Lips' The Soft Bulletin. But as he explains... He put that campaign on hold. We'll get more into that in a few minutes. Before we start, I want to take a few minutes for another favorite Christmas song. I want to like Luther Vandross' 1995 Christmas album, This Is Christmas, more than I do. I want songs built around a singer as warm as Vandross to sound a little more luxe. And I wish the songs had a little more life on their own and didn't require him to do the heavy lifting. When the tempos pick up, so do the grooves and the energy, and that helps. And the best of the bunch is the mistletoe jam, subtitled, Everybody Kiss Somebody. First, my inner 14-year-old loves a Christmas song with the phrase, toe jam in it. And the fact that Vandross sings it again and again, again, pirate treasure. If you're like me and find Uranus the funniest planet, you understand. But the song also does some more musical things I like. The first being Give Luther Vandross a song on which he can sound effortless because when he does, I find him really engaging. I also like a Christmas song for adults that remains playful, and that doesn't always happen. 
It often seems like fun gets sacrificed in the effort of making Christmas music for adults. But Mistletoe Jam is a reminder that adults can have fun together during the holidays too, and that the whole event doesn't have to flow through children. It helps that there are some musically inventive moments in the song that don't show up often enough on the rest of the album for my taste, starting with the unexpected melodic line that leads into the chorus. The subtitle, Everybody Kiss Somebody, also catches me and makes me think of another favorite adult Christmas song, The Christmas Waltz, and particularly Nancy Wilson's version. In the song, she sings, It's the time of the year when the world falls in love. And everybody kiss somebody feels like an alternate expression of that same sentiment. It also syncs up with the social dimension of Christmas that I love. I like singing with strangers and feeling connected to my neighborhood or my city, even if temporarily and in ephemeral ways. You can work out your own connections to the song. This is the Mistletoe Jam by Luther Vandross. We'll be back on the other side with Dr. Octorock. mistletoe with me. I'm not getting under that mistletoe with you anymore. Why not? Because you don't know how to act when you get under there. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. What? The last time I got under that thing with you. <laughs> what happened? The last time I got under there with you, I had twins. Tell it all. <laughs> I sure When I heard the song I heard The DJ played this one jam That makes you want to kiss somebody Is it the mistletoe jam? Yeah. I like to party all night yeah, yeah. And dance to the mistletoe jam yeah. Everybody kiss somebody So to start with, where am I talking to you from? Where do you live? Uh, I live right outside Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Uh, I live in a town called Media, Pennsylvania. Kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of the equivalent if you took like a small section of like, you know, like a really cool part of Philly that has nice restaurants, bars, and pretty decent people, and just plopped it in the middle of the suburbs. <laughs> that's that's kind of what Media is, and it's also, I mean, it's really close to Philly, so right. It's a, it's a 12 minute drive to the airport. Like I'm actually close to the airport than most of people that live in Philly are. And then, uh, you know, 20 minute drive into town. Oh, cool. Is it a music, you know, is it a music area or is there music around there or is it? Um, I mean, there aren't venues so much. Uh, I mean, Milk Boy isn't too far away up in Ardmore. I don't know if that's still around, uh, but that was kind of a big venue at the, you know, back in the mid two thousands, late two thousands. Um, but it is a, a music, like a lot of people who are musicians live in the area and there's a lot of uh, karaoke m- open mic and that sort of stuff. And a lot of bands that play at bars, obviously not for the past year. Um, but there's actually a really interesting story. I'll, I'll try to keep it short because it's not really relevant to me personally. Um, but there, there you know, was a, a guy that ran open mic in the area. And when uh, the pandemic hit, he was kind of bummed out because that was kind of how he made his living was running all these open mics. 
to basically create a Facebook page where people would stream live performances. And he created basically like all of Delaware County basically joined in on this thing. There's you know tens of thousands of members uh, and people basically just post sets or, you know, stream sets, you know, playing. And it was kind of, it kind of made the local news. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. It was fun watching all my friends that I would go and see out of the bars, whenever they would play open mic or perform and just kind of sitting at home, listening to them play. I just had playing in the background while I was working. It was a really cool experience. Oh, that's great. Now, so that's actually how I met a lot of my friends was through open mic and that, that sort of music scene in the area. Okay. You know, your gig is a kind of, it uh, sounds like as much about programming as it is about music. Are you, do you think of yourself as a musician or a musician first, or is music a side piece of the puzzle or how does the, how does the work you do and how does the music you do fit into your idea of sort of, of who you are as a creative person? I mean, definitely if you ask any of my friends that, you know, there, there's certain artistic expressions that they associate me with and music is definitely up there. I mean, I've been playing piano since I was, six or seven. Um, my mother was very musical. My grandfather was very musical. Both, you know, played music either professionally or close to professionally, you know, they were professionally skilled. Um, my grandfather was in a jazz band back in the day. So I've, I've had music in my life a lot. Um, grew up listening to jazz, classical and oldies basically. So it's like the trifecta of everything that every you know music now is based on comes from at least one of those three genres of music in some way, shape or form. Um, so I've definitely considered myself a musician first and everything else kind of comes after. And it's just a matter of trying to find new ways to express, you know, musical interest or, or musical, you know, ideas I have and, you know, using a video game systems just ended up being one of those expressions. Um, and, and a lot of people think of, think of chip tunes, not to jump too far forward into stuff we might talk about later, but a lot of people consider chip tunes. Like when they think about chiptunes, they think of like, oh, you know, they think video games first, then music. And I like to come at, come at it from the other end, just look at the Nintendo or the Game Boy or whatever I'm using and say, oh, I'm using this as an instrument, but I'm, you know, rather than oh, let's take something and make it sound like a video game. It's just, oh, this is my instrument of choice in this particular scenario. And there, there is some programming involved, but it's not, it's not extensive enough that I would consider myself a programmer when it comes to making, you know, music with video game systems. Okay. So tell me, so how did you get, how did you start doing chiptunes? Um, well, I started like probably most people just either sampling sounds directly from my Nintendo or, and, you know, using them as a, as a sample in uh, like Fruity Loops or any other composition program or using a plugin that sounded like a video game system. And it wasn't until after I released my first album that I actually got into the hardware end of things and, you know, I had, I paid some other guy to mod my Nintendo. I bought a cart, you know, from some guy in Europe that could manipulate the Nintendo and, and then started dabbling with that. And then, uh, you know, over the course of a decade, learned how to make the most out of that particular setup. Whereas just using plugins is a matter of just manipulating samples, which is something I was already used to because I've been composing and using MIDI signals for, you know, most of my life, I, my mom was really big into composition using MIDI. Can you uh, hear my dog in the background? Yes, I can. It? Yeah, okay. that's okay. Einstein, hey, come here. What are you doing? So, what made you want to make chip tunes? Um, honestly, just a love of old video games, and and uh, I de I definitely really appreciate the sounds 
that comes with, uh, you know, especially systems from the 80s, like Nintendo and Game Boy are two of my favorites as far as the quality of the sound. And, you know, even, even though a lot of these older systems use the same method of generating sound, you know, it's just, it's just pulses, you know, it's like the most basic form of sound you can possibly create. Um, but it, there's something about, about the particular hardware they use or the sound chip that they use that sounds better to me than like a Commodore 64, for example, or, you know, a, a PC, you know, speaker, which is even simpler in a lot of ways than a, the sound chip in a Nintendo. Um, so part of it was that, you know, love of old video games and that particular sound, but there's also a factor of, you know, something you grew up with as a child um, and there's a fondness there that I think a lot of people identify with. And, and that would probably be the, the number one driving factor. Um, and then later on, after using actual hardware for a lot of things, I, I, I learned to appreciate the, the limitations and how those limitations can actually inspire creativity in a way. Um, Cause there's a lot of things you can't do with a Nintendo that you can do with, you know, pretty much any other form of, of uh, manipulation of the sound, you know, either whether it's a plug-in or a, a hardware, you know, issue. Can you give me an example? Uh, so, you know, the best example would be um, on the original Nintendo, there's only five channels of sound and every single one is monophonic. So you, you can only play one note at a time and each channel only makes a certain kind of sound. So when you're composing, you know, a, a track using the Nintendo hardware, or if you're doing a plugin, you just want to emulate the the authenticity of those limitations on the hardware, then basically you're, you're stuck with three tones, uh, a sample channel that's really low quality, like, like it's, I think it's like a two bit or so, or one bit, right. something like that. Um, and, and then the, the other channel is basically just static that you can change the pitch on, uh, which, you know, I use a lot for snares, hi-hats, crash cymbals, that sort of thing. So basically you're limited to three tracks for the actual melody, bass, chords, and, and whatnot. And I use the term chord loosely because if you do play a chord using Nintendo, that's all you're playing because you only get three tones. Right. So, uh, you know, that, that limitation is big. And then, you know, on top of that, the one channel doesn't have volume control and it only makes one tone the whole time, whereas the other channels have a little bit, you know, speaking of the three tone channels, the first two channels have a little bit more variety. You can change, basically they're square, square wave channels. So you can change the width of the square waves so it sounds thinner or thicker. But other than that, there's not a whole lot you can do to manipulate it or make it sound different aside from using pitch bends and, and volume control on those first two channels that actually allow you to control the volume. So I'm going to circle back to make sure to underline this. So you're basically, you are actually turning Game Boys and Nintendo systems. You're actually making that the music generator when you're That's correct. your compositions, yeah. right? And then some, some people out there who are programmers and are more, you know, more dedicated to that end of, of, of uh, chip tunes than I am have figured out how to kind of translate MIDI signals through a, a device, whether it's a cartridge that plugs into the system or something that goes between the system and uh, the computer that's sending the MIDI signals. And it'll basically translate those signals into signals that the system can understand. And then that allows me as a musician who knows how to use MIDI to manipulate the sound card on those systems the way that I want to. Before, were you making music like that? Sort of, I mean, so you were making music like that through other means before you figured out how to actually do it through the 
through the game systems? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and as I mentioned before, my, my mom did a lot of MIDI composition. So I would get on and fool around either playing on the piano or, or, you know, penning in a, in a piano role in the MIDI program. Um, you know, I'd create tracks, either I'd cover video game songs that already existed or I'd create video game style themes. And I always kind of tended to use these sounds, whatever MIDI library I was using, because back in the day, you know, every computer's MIDI card made slightly different sounds with the instruments, but they all had the same basic set of instruments. Um, and I would always gravitate towards the ones that sounded like those, those you know, chiptune sounds like the Nintendo and the Game Boy, or even like Genesis synthesizer type sounds. I always liked using those in my tracks. So I was kind of practicing, you know, for lack of better words, for a, a time later when I would actually get my hands on the hardware that I could create those sounds authentically, you know, as opposed to just making something that sounded like it. Right. What was the appeal? Besides, besides the kind of romantic and the, the familiarity of the sound of uh, the video game, you know, the video game music, what else was there or what was musical in that sound that attracted you? I mean, like I said before, like the limitations is a big attraction. I like the idea of, cause here's the thing. Cause even before I, I started making, you know, authentic chip tunes with, you know, actual hardware. And even before I was using plugins to emulate it, I was, I was attempting to create, um, orchestral pieces and i i had um i, I downloaded garrett's personal orchestra which was like pretty much the only sort of sample set slash plugin that was available back in the at the time that i was getting into it this is before i think even before Hans zimmer was you know scoring <laughs> you know movies with with this type of uh technology or maybe he was doing it beforehand but i just didn't know about it at the time uh it was definitely before dark knight though i know that much ah, ah, uh, ah. Uh, but, uh, basically, you know, I was, I was doing these orchestral pieces and as much fun as they were and as challenging as it was, you know, the challenge there is how do I make it sound realistic? And I didn't enjoy that challenge as, as much as I enjoyed the other in the spectrum where it was, there's no effort here to make it sound realistic or make it sound like a particular thing, but I can't do anything I want. Like I could with an orchestral plugin, which allows you to use an entire orchestra, you know? Um, and that's, that's a great power to have. And I have made plenty of orchestral compositions over the years. And I, I even posted a bunch on my YouTube video with accompanying animations and people seem to like them, but it's not really what I love as much as a chiptune. So having the limitations there, it, 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 ta- it, it brings a lot out of me that doesn't just come out because I will it to come out. You know, I, I can't just decide, oh, I'm going to, you know, use only three channels of tones to recreate an entire album you know, and a couple of other sounds in the background. Um, but having this system, it, it's for me, it's partly the knowledge that anybody who's into chiptunes also can appreciate the limitations. And, and there's that shared appreciation with other people that, that enjoy the sound of it for the same nostalgic reasons and romantic reasons that you mentioned. So it's, it's kind of a point of connection to people. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, music is about, feeling something and connecting with people, you know, obviously it means something different to everyone, but for me, it's always been about connecting, you know, because, you know, I, I grew up connecting to people through music and that was my way of, you know, that, that was, that was the way that I got girls' attentions growing up as a a young nerdy boy. That was a big part of it as well. So obviously a lot of it does come down to romantic, 
romantic, uh, you know, ideals and just kind of playing into that idea of like, oh, this is something that means a lot to me and let me find other people that it means something to. And then, you know, having the challenges on top of that and then other people appreciating those challenges. It's like, you know, some, some of the biggest stories, you know, you see are like, oh, this person accomplished this using only this or this person, despite their, you know, you know, be, being differently abled, you know, was able to accomplish something that most fully abled people aren't capable of doing, you know. So it's, it's just kind of appreciation of those kind of stories that just just a little icing on the cake sort of a thing, I guess. Some of the choices that we make aesthetically have so many pieces wound into them. Mm-hmm. And, and for instance, I mean, one of the reasons I, one of the reasons I'm interested in this conversation on chip tunes and even feels like I'm sort of walking over the same ground twice is because there are points where musically the small palette that we're working with can, can, can feel limiting to me. But I have to say, I'm also have come to feel even more in the last last 10 years than I used to that in a time where technology is so central to our lives, when I hear music that essentially backgrounds or pretends as if mu- as if technology has little to no part of the of the story, always feels vaguely retro to me. And mm-hmm. oddly, music that even if it has a sound that traces very directly to the you know 80s or 90s i find that sounds more contemporary to me than hearing two guys plug in their guitars and a couple someone plug in a bass and somebody get behind a drum kit and just start banging out rock and roll mm-hmm. um that feels retro to me um so like it but it feels retro to me yeah that's i mean that's that's a big part of it too is you know obviously music is uh very relevant to society and vice versa and maybe it's one of those it's the uh, art imitating life or life imitating art argument but um you, you know for better or for worse a lot of people are into the the you know legitimately retro sounds these days and whether they know it or not a lot of the things that they're doing are are inspired by them because you know music each generation of music begets the next so if if, you know a bunch of people are making music with retro equipment even the next generation if they're not using the actual sounds from those they might actually play in a style that sounds more old-fashioned or vice versa if they're trying to create new music you know using those retro sounds they're they're going to kind of cement that sound as a modern sound because so many people are using that sound i don't know if that makes any sense i kind of Lost my train of thought in the middle there. <laughs> this is this is how I kind of my brain doesn't doesn't go A B C D. It goes sure. A Z G Q. You know, it's it's all over the place. Yeah, like everybody. At, uh, <laughs> but I, I agree. I agree I, that uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of things kind of get. Uh, I don't, don't want to say bastardized and as a bad thing, but it's like when you combine two things that 
for all intents and purposes should never have been combined, but then you get something new that people tend to like. It's 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 like a Frankenstein, but it's a cool Frankenstein. It's a yeah. Frankenstein that doesn't go around destroying villages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, yeah, I'll actually be forty this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, was, I was trying to figure out, you know. So these are the, these are the musical sounds that were crucial to games that you were playing. Yeah, at, yeah, at, born, at important born developmental in, uh, ages. Born in '81, so I was, um, I guess, five when uh, the original Nintendo came to America. Right. Um, but I grew up playing like Atari, ColecoVision, and you know all the systems from pretty much my my parents' adult years as well. We had a lot of the little like Pong clones and handheld LCD, you know. Or yeah, LCD systems as well. So you not only have an affection for the sound, but you actually, you actually know the songs that uh, you remember theme musics and pieces of music from those. Yeah, and that was another big thing. And you know, I would, that's when I was playing piano. That's kind of where I always went. Um, you know, my my parents got me piano lessons all these years. I never really learned to read music. I've always played by ear. And lucky for me, my my mom could sight read, so I would have her play a piece for me <laughs> and then I'd learn the piece and my piano teachers were none the wiser until I had a piano teacher that was a jazz instructor and he saw right through my uh <laughs> my <laughs> my lies and he basically quit on me <laughs> <laughs> he's like I don't want to waste your money or my time you're not going to learn to read music and that's cool but I'm not I can't teach you how to play by ear that's something you got to develop on your own or if I you know meet a teacher that can do that I'll send him your way <laughs> right now what was the first piece you did there was, when, what was the first project where you were actually trying to make mu- make chiptune music? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, so um, I have a brother, an older brother, who's uh, an illustrator. And uh, he, there was a time during like kind of the, the late 90s, early, I'll say early to mid-2000s more accurately, where both of us were really, really searching for like some sort of artistic expression that that was kind of uh, parallel to to our love of video games we both grew up loving you know video games and playing a lot of video games as kids and it was something we both looked upon fondly and a big part of that was because you know our family kind of brought video games my, my grandfather gave us ColecoVision one year for Christmas and it, it was one of those things where he didn't know what it was you know he was a, at the time I guess a 60 something year old man and he was like working at a plastics manufacturing plant um, that happened to create the cases for these systems and he said oh you know the kids might like this and uh, that was the first uh, system uh, uh, was a coleco vision <laughs> so that that's kind of he started the whole thing he, he's a big source of inspiration because he was a musician he was an artist he used to draw for archie comics so that got us into you know comic books and illustration and that sort of thing it's like we all kind of just you know stuck with the family legacy so to speak where we're, we're all musicians and artists on my mom's side and then on my dad's side they're just intellectuals and you know, <laughs> they appreciate music and art, but they can't do it for the life of them. <laughs> right. ah, ah, ah. Uh, well, sorry, what was the question again? I so, went so the first piece that the first piece right. that sort of that you remember and will fly your flag on, like here I here's where I did something. Yeah. So so basically, so going back to my brother, who's an artist, and he was doing a, a holiday card for um, somebody out in, on the West Coast who was also very fond of video games. And his idea for the holiday card was to send out CDs that had a bunch of chiptune covers of Christmas songs. So this is actually would lead really, really nicely into actually 8-Bit Jesus, um, because that was pretty much my first project that I did in the chiptune arena. I had created stuff 
the sound of like chiptunes before, but this is my first real attempt to actually, you know, adhere to the limitations of the of the system. Even though I I use the plugin for this particular album, um, and basically just you know because he was putting this thing together, he said, oh, like you know, do you want to contribute a track to the album? And I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So I created one track for the album, which ended up being the first track on Ape to Jesus, um, and then. But for that track, I had actually used samples. So I basically sampled my actual Nintendo playing certain notes and then used those samples to recreate the track for that album. And then I got the plug in. And then that's when I created Ape Jesus. So my very first track ever was the first track on Ape Jesus that was called We Three Konami, which is, you know, cover of We Three Kings. But I decided to make it, you know, give it a funny name to kind of relate it, you know, a, a little bit more heavily towards, you know, love of video games and all the all, all the games that, that Konami released on the original Nintendo had a kind of distinctive sound to them. And I tried to emulate that sound in the track as well. You know, like heavy sampled drums and really fast licks in the background sort of a thing. composition process of trying because you were basically you were taking Christmas songs and you were connecting them either sonically or, or in some way musically to other other eight to to game to other game music right yeah and it's one of those things where I th- people either think that I have like a magic touch or that I spend hours or, or, or that I, I approach it very intellectually and technically like okay this song uses a certain series of fifths or fourths or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I kind of, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. I definitely play by ear and a lot of it is stuff that I just kind of lean into whatever is coming naturally. And then I buckle down on either the melody or the baseline to start usually and, and figure out, is this working? Whether, whether it's a, a track, a mashup track like Apages or whether it's a, a direct cover track or an original track, I almost always start with melody or bass just to, get an idea of how the final thing will sound or what the structure of the final thing is going to be. Uh, and then basically I just, I just go from there and, and kind of, it, it becomes more grunt work at that point. Just, just trying different combinations of, of things that be, because I play by ear, I don't always know what I'm actually putting down in, in the composition. I don't always know, Oh, this is a major fifth or, major six or, or, you know, that sort of, I do know what those chords are, but I rarely think about them. I just think about what it sounds like to me, what combinations of notes sound right. And I'll listen to the original and say, okay, this note stands out to me. This has to be in the cover of it. And that, and that's a big part of composing with su- such few channels is picking out those more distinctive notes that are going to hit harder on, on the realization that, oh, this is a cover of this song or this reminds me of the original song or it sounds like that game or whatever is, is picking out the, just the right notes to focus on because you only have so many notes at a time. Yeah. That, that struck me as one of the questions I thought was particularly interesting. And I get is about to ask you about sort of compositional challenges. Cause it would seem like when you have a limited number, when you have a limited number of sounds to work with, it, it seems like there's a limit to how dynamic you can make a track 
since everything's sort of feels like it's sort of pinging at the same time and roughly roughly as similar at similar volumes is that right mm -hmm. yeah there there again another one of the challenges uh that i face both both the volume now um given so i do have volume control on the first two channels which allows me to fade in and out and i and i can draw direct volume you know changes into like the timeline which is a nice way to be able to manipulate the sound and it's a thing that is pretty it's it's pretty unique to using MIDI to to create them rather than a tracker because a lot of people that make chiptunes use trackers. Um and I, I haven't really used trackers, but I understand the basic process of how they work. And basically you're just creating a note that you reuse so that you know you can create a note that starts really strong and then fades out over one second. And then you can repeat that note. And if you want a different kind of note in that track, you have to create that second note in the library of notes that you use and so on and so forth. Basically it's like putting together patterns. It's, it's, it's very typical of sequencing, you know, in the history of sequencing that how people did things back in the day um, before they had the kind of interfaces they have on modern computers. And, you know, most classic sequencers work that way. You're just creating patterns and reusing them in different ways. And you have X number of patterns you can use. Um, but being able to use, use a, an actual like digital audio workstation and draw in these changes by hand gives me a lot more freedom albeit still limited by the limitations of the system itself, you know, so I can, I can have these notes that fade in from real quiet and are real subtle as opposed to just loud banging bleeps and bloops the whole time, you know, and, and when people think of chiptunes, that's what they think of because that's how most people create chiptunes. And that is kind of the appeal for a lot of people to chiptunes is that just always busy, always going nuts in the background and the foreground crazy tunes with, you know, pitch bends and whatnot. And it just, a lot of people associate that, particular sound but that to me would just be one genre of chiptunes within chiptunes it's like chiptunes being dance music or electronic music or whatever as opposed to chiptunes trying to cover a classical piece and create things that sound kind of like strings even though they sound nothing like strings um i think i got away from the question again it's okay when you made 8-bit jesus at that point all the compositions all the tracks are like a minute and a half or less mm -hmm. Was that a function of just sort of where you were with a sense of what you could do with a chip tune at that point? Uh, yeah, that was definitely a part of it. Um, what one of the challenges um, is is avoiding repetition, and you know, with all the limitations that there are there, you know, especially especially when I'm when the theme is a mashup of of you know combining this track and this track sometimes you just get to that point where you're like, okay, this works really well. I like the way it sounds. I like the shared, you know, ground between the, the source, the two source materials I've decided to co combine into one, but there only seems to be so much I can do with this without taking it too far away. Like if I wanted to throw a bridge in there, you know, and, and part of it is that a lot of Christmas songs are repetitive. It's the same tune over and over with different, you know, different lyrics in each verse or whatever. And then a lot of video game tracks are very short, about a minute long, and they loop because that's their background music. They're not supposed to be full compositions with a beginning and an end like a regular song would be. So the fact that both sources of material were kind of short to begin with, melodically speaking or musically speaking, kind of forced me into that corner. And I and I did, you know, on occasion make attempts to make the tracks themselves longer. Um, but at that point, it just seemed like I would just be repeating the same part over and over with small differences here and there. 
And so I decided to focus on just making more tracks and covering more material rather than make a 12 track album with five minute long, you know, or four minute long tracks of repetitive licks in the background of, of each one and a melody that didn't change much throughout the course of it. Yeah. I found, I, I find the economy of those, of those pieces is part of their beauty. Um, the fact that sure. like I, I, I started when, uh, when I found 8-Bit Jesus online that I found that I would put it in Christmas music mixes for friends and for family and having it there for a minute and a half worked out great. But I was thinking mm-hmm. if that was three minutes, <laughs> be I know a much. number of people who would be really tested by that. Yes. Yes. That's, a, that is another, yeah. That also has a lot to do with it as well. <laughs> somebody like myself that's very that loves the sound of chiptunes i i i oddly don't listen to a lot of chiptune artists um for me the fascination comes in when it's like how how much can i represent something that exists already or multiple things as was the case with ape jesus using this really primitive limiting uh hardware or you know some approximation of it um and and i think because of of that and because of the fact that people are also used to only hearing these tracks for short amounts of time because most people remember them from video games and if you try to hum a, a any track from any video game you'll probably hum you know 30 seconds worth and then either not remember the rest or that will be the whole you know iteration of that music that just repeats on itself um and yeah it's definitely the, the economy of it is very small in the sense that I think it works both ways. I think, you know, as you said, like anybody can appreciate it for a minute, but after that, it's like, yeah, are we still doing this? <laughs> um, it, it is a harsh sound in and of itself. And I think for a lot of people, that's, that's the factor, but there's also an aspect of it. that's like, it's kind of a gimmick in, in a way. It's almost like, like, yeah, the, you know, I've seen videos of people recreating the Star Wars theme using um, disc drives moving in certain sequence. Ah, ah, and, ah. and that's, that's one of the most fascinating things. And I have a, a huge amount of respect for that person, but I'm not going to put that on in the car yes. <laughs> for more than one track, maybe. Yep. And, and I, and I, I do appreciate that a lot of people feel that way about the music that I create using chiptunes. I, and I know there's a very few people out there that can actually sit down with listen to chiptunes for any extended period of time. Um, and on top of that, it's, it's just a matter of appreciating what the person did and, appreciating how well they did it and then moving on to listening to jazz or classic rock in your car, because that's the kind of music that you want in the background when you're driving for 12 hours or or whatever. (laughs) One thing I was thinking though, would be really kind of gratifying about the music that you're making. And I think you touched on this a little bit before, but I thought it was worth circling back on Mm -hmm. is that you, is that the people who hear it, the target audience for it, 100% 100% connect. You have, you know, you have found your people when you, mm-hmm. when you taught, when, when someone hears it and responds to it, 
you already know you have not only a shared musical language, a shared musical interest, but you've had a similar gaming experience. You have similar gaming affections. There's a good chance, because it's a slightly aggressive sound, there's a good chance you probably have sort of you know, aesthetic similarities, a sort of or a punk sensibility, a, certainly a DIY sensibility. There are any number of places where you and the you and your audience probably connect pretty solidly. So I would imagine that the people who people who get it, who get you, get you one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely that that community sense, and and it's not too different from any other community, whether it's you know anime, cosplay, and that sort of thing, which is you know an area I've dabbled in as well. My girlfriend's more into costuming and, and stuff like that, but I also enjoy prop building and similar community. You, you find somebody that, that will see, you know, a prop that you recreated and be like, Oh, you, you, you even got like the little like scuff on that one side of things. It's, it's so rewarding to have that, you know, not only as a means to connect with other people, but to have that recognition of your work. And it's like, any, you know, anybody can learn, you know, piano, guitar, whatever, and play a tune. And most people will appreciate it or, tolerate it in the background it won't be intrusive to their ears it won't you know rub them the wrong way like a chiptune might but at the same time it 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 takes a lot more to take that and make it as special as a chiptune just inherently is to somebody that appreciates it It, it's a lot harder to connect with people in that way using a more a, a type of music or genre that's much more appreciated and accepted already it's like it's it's like there's a there's a graph for the the amount of you know, acceptance that, that a certain sound or, or type of music will have. But as that acceptance goes up, the, the level of appreciation per each person goes down. <laughs> it's like, a- Oh, I, I agree entirely. Um, one of the things that drove me to this podcast was that it struck me that you really heard someone's creativity in Christmas music. Mm-hmm. And, and because you had this limited body of music, or if you're a songwriter, you have this sort of limited framework to write in. And it, what you hear is if, if a song works, you hear somebody thinking through how to make this well-worn, very familiar body of music in some way fresh for at least another two or three minutes. Mm-hmm. And... But I, I've been experiencing having these conversations and realizing even musicians weren't always thinking about it in those terms. That so often the music just seems like, as you say, like a guitar player has to really show you what they can do for you to know how good a guitar player is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times guitar players are making really brilliant decisions and decisions and actually executing things that most people can't do. But because they're good at it, it's not obvious. And yeah. uh, those things, if you're doing it right, people won't notice. <laughs> yeah, the great a great song is effortless. A great yeah. song sounds effortless. It's not that it is effortless; it's just that exactly. it sounds effortless. Yeah, and and much the same way. And I've always thought like Christmas music because it's so familiar. People just sort of hear it and just sort of, you know, we know this. But if people can figure out how to remake it. And do and give you a version worth listening to, that's sort of showing you someone's creativity. Uh, yeah, and that was one of my goals with the Chris album because I, I oddly enough, I never liked Christmas music, or rather, it just it 
Christmas music for me is like chip tunes for a lot of people. I'll hear one song. I might even sing along. I'll appreciate it. Whatever. You'll never get me to go caroling. And I just have a very limited tolerance for how much Christmas music I'm willing to, to ingest before I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done here. So part of, part of the goal was obviously, you know, I, I had kind of been thrown in or just been given the small opportunity to create one track for the album initially, but then I was like, Oh, I want to do more. That was actually fun. I enjoyed taking something that I didn't inherently like and turning it into something that I did. And I was like, there's gotta be a lot of other people out there that hate Christmas music that could appreciate Christmas music in, in the form of uh, uh, chip tunes because they enjoyed the chip tunes. And while it wasn't a huge audience or I didn't think it would be, I figured it was worth a shot and it was something that I enjoyed to do regardless. So even if nobody else was into it, the process to me was is a huge part of the reward and, and learning something in that process is, is always a, a, a reason I'll approach anything. And a lot of people look at a lot of the projects I do that way. They're like, well, what are you getting out of it? Like, are that many people even going to like this? I was like, I don't care. I like it. <laughs> I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed creating it. Worst case scenario, I, I created, I had fun. Now I'll just create something else, you know, right. just move on to the next thing as I tend to do. Does it help to hear Christmas music in a form that you like and a form that means something to you? Um, in, in what way? Does it just well, help me appreciate the Christmas music itself or? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you part of my, part of my fascination is, you know, and, and I know this was my case was there's a point when I found, you know, as a kid, I liked Christmas music just fine. Teenage years, I kind of heard Christmas music as your parents' music. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it wasn't until I started hearing people making versions of Christmas music that at some, at some point moved into rock or moved into uh, you know, new wave or moved into electronic or moved into funk that I was able to kind of refine my way as I, as I started to find Christmas music that connected to my current musical values. Mm -hmm. And then once I'd made that connection, I could then go backwards. And, and so I wonder at some level if, as you talk about not being interested in Christmas music in general, mm -hmm. does hearing it in musical forms you're interested in ping you more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and not just like there, there are other Christmas albums or, or Christmas songs that I dig. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, thinking in your teen years that, you know, Christmas music was was parents' music because a lot of the Christmas music that I do tend to um, t tolerate more are, you know, stuff from the, you know, 40s to 60s. You know, like, I I, I don't want to hear Mariah Carey, <laughs> but, you know, the, the Bing Crosby is fine. You know, it's like the, the classic, the stuff that has the strings in the background because I grew up, you know, appreciating jazz and classical. So if there's strings, if there's, kind of a jazz feel to it i'll probably be more into it um but yeah definitely hear hearing christmas music in in a style that i already appreciate for the style itself makes the christmas music kind of the second thought there um so a good example is uh i don't know if you you're familiar with Pent pentatonix they're um, an acapella group and yeah. one of those things where like i i just happened to watch the sing-off you know which is the the competition show because i like ben folds yep uh ben folds five he, I, he I was up. great on that show oh absolutely um he's, he's one of my favorite just create, creative type people in the world like he's a, he's a good example of somebody that's just always doing whatever he wants because he he's he's curious he's like 
what will, what will happen if I do this? What will happen if I do that? Um, so yeah, so I mean, I, I enjoyed watching that show and from like the first or second performance from them, like they're gonna, they're gonna win it. I could just tell. And I was watching it with a couple of friends of mine and they wanted one of the other groups to win. I'm like, I'm sorry, kind of times is gonna win. They got, they got the sound, they got the, you know, the arrangements and they got a very diverse group, you know, in only five people. Like Sony would rather sign five people than 20 people. Right. right. <laughs> That's just the way it's going to go. <laughs> but on top of that, they're also very, very good. So means to say, you know, bringing it back to the actual topic, you know, uh, my girlfriend got one, a couple of the Christmas albums of the years. And that's one I don't mind playing in the car when we're on our way to my grandmother's house or her par- parents' house that time of year. Um, because I have a profound appreciation for, you know, five people making that uh, kind of a big sound that you wouldn't think would be p- possible. And it's very reminiscent to me of chiptunes. I get five channels. They have five channels. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it kind of, it, it connects on many levels to me there. So it's like, you got all these reasons. I love them. They can sing anything and I'll enjoy it. They can sing a pop song that I, I would never listen to the original, you know, but I'll enjoy their version of it. So the same goes for the Christmas music. You know, I, I, I very much do enjoy their Christmas arrangements because the other thing is that they take it and they make it really fresh. Not only are they just singing it with their voices, but they're adding in, you know, bass runs and, and major or seventh chords that, you know, you don't hear in the original and they make it sound even more pleasant musically to me. And that's, and that's something I can appreciate as well. Well, it would also seem like they're faced with a very similar musical question that you are, which is also what has to be there. Yeah, because obviously there's a, there's a limit to how many voices they can recreate and how many how many sounds they can recreate. So one of the things I admire in their work is the the musical editing process to decide what is the thing that absolutely must be here, and then what architecture do we have to build around it to make that work? Yeah, and and I'd imagine that would have been your challenge making chiptune Christmas and making any chiptune music as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. And, it, and it's funny cause um, you know, but both they, they actually have a little bit more to work with than I do. Cause they have one, one of their guys can do all the drum sounds. Whereas I get two channels, they have to go towards drums basically. So I get three tones, they get four, but I have, you know, a, a while back I did notice that comparison between five of them and five channels on the Nintendo so I actually recreated a, a good number of their tracks uh, in chiptune form and created music videos that kind of parodied the music videos that they had posted on their YouTube channel at the time. So I did one for their Daft, uh, Daft Punk medley. And then I did one for one of their originals called Love Again. And those are both ones that I posted on you know, Twitter, YouTube. And at some point, at least one member of the band saw it. That made me happy. Because um, it's always nice when somebody who's, you know, work you appreciate shows any amount of appreciation towards your own work, especially if it's paying homage to theirs. Um, and yeah, they've, they've been a huge source of, uh, not necessarily inspiration for chiptunes, but just kind of recognition and, and like a, a, an observation of parallel between them and, and hearing the kinds of origins they put together has in a way it kind of re- rejuvenates my own sense of what's possible with a limited number of, of channels in, you know, limited qualities on each one. Is there a song on, uh, 8-Bit Jesus that you take particular pride in either because it was, you know, it was, it was a thorny challenge to uh, challenge to nail down or something that gave you, you know, something where you felt like once you'd finished it, that you thought, you know, that was really something. Yeah. I mean, if if I'm thinking about, 
you know, because I pretty much I, I just have my, uh, you know, my uh, my uh, music in my car is just my phone playing through the Bluetooth on random. So, you know, it, obviously I'll, I'll, I have a lot of chip tune of uh, my own chip tune music on my on my uh, phone. But then I also have a lot of just Nintendo soundtracks. <laughs> so a lot of times my girlfriend will be in the car. And I know she's not into chip tunes as a genre. But for example, if if you know a chip tune of the the uh, you know this is Halloween that I created comes on, I know she likes that song and she'll listen to it. But for the most part, I skip most chip tune tracks <laughs> uh, on the car. But if I'm if I'm there by myself and something from Apogee's comes on, I'm trying to think of over the years, you know, all the different songs that would come on. Sometimes I'll skip skip one because I'm just not in the mood for that. Then trying to think of the tracks that will come on that I'll be like, oh yeah, I want to listen to this now. And th- and those would probably be the tracks that I'd be the most proud of. And and what one of those tracks is definitely um joy to commando which is you know a, a mashup of joy to the world and uh, bionic commando because there's something about that original game that just used the sound so well to create that military fanfare and work so well for that that you know in me emulating that sound i know that i nailed it if people recognize that game right away because you know they might think it's metal gear or um or, or some other you know army military type nintendo game that I, I might not even know the soundtrack to um but bionic commando had a very specific like sound to it that the, the way they used the noise channel to recreate like a drum military drum like snare drum roll or whatever that that really hit hit the nail on the head as far as that game was concerned so my goal there was to hit, hit the nail on the head in terms of recreating how they recreated that sound <laughs> think people too often don't think about or is how important when we make whether it's sort of mashup music like this or it's covers how much what we do is built on the premise that somebody knows the original Mm -hmm. you know like if you do a cover and nobody knows the song nobody knows what you actually did yeah and and it would seem like in the same case that joy to uh, joy to commando you know, it works. It works if you if all you if as a sort of as a novelty, but if you know Commando, someone's like, man, he absolutely nailed it. And someone, if the uh, the person who knows the game appreciates what you did, and uh, it, it feels like that's always that's really central to sort of the aesthetics of uh, of covers and, and and referential pieces like this. Yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll also always make. Uh, an attempt at, at the very least to create create each track in in a way that I I hope that someone that doesn't necessarily understand the sort either the source material or the appreciate chip tunes can still appreciate the track for just just the way it sounds and you know as we all know chip tunes can can be a rough genre to listen to for a lot of people but there there are things you can d- use it for that will spark some sort of intrigue in, in your average person. So if, if I can add a little bit of that teach track as well, that's usually a goal. And that's something I don't honestly believe I've really developed until like, 
you know, maybe three or four years ago, because it's, it's taken me, you know, nearly a decade of using the actual hardware to really understand it and to understand what I can do with it and how I can accomplish certain things that I've wanted to do in the past, but I would have to settle for some other way of doing them because I wasn't familiar enough with, you know, the, the programming techniques or the, the way to, you know, that the system would react to certain commands to create those sounds. And there's a lot of sounds that you hear on in Nintendo games and you're like, wait, how do they make that sound with, you know, cause you, you know what each channel sounds like on its own, especially if you're like me and you're getting into controlling it, you'll play the notes and you'll mess around with all the settings and see what happens. But then you'll still be like, I don't know how they made that thing sound, how they use what I'm using and made it sound like that. And then, you know, over the years I just discovered things either accidentally or through just brute force and just sitting down like, I wanna figure out how they did this and experiment till, you know, the wee hours of the morning, just trying to figure out that sort of thing. And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I try to use everything at my disposal in order to appeal to as many people as possible. But at the end of the day, yeah, there is that target demographic of people that both, you know, might enjoy Christmas music and might also enjoy chiptunes and can fully appreciate the album. And then there's the secondary, you know, people who like Christmas music, but don't necessarily like chiptunes but you know, could get into it because it's Christmas music and then people are like chiptunes but don't like Christmas music, but can get into the Christmas songs because they sound like chiptunes. And then beyond that, there's the rest of the people that don't like either, but might still be able to appreciate what I've done with the album itself. Right. And just the concept behind it. And that, that's kind of what the gimmick is. That's where the gimmick comes in. It's like, oh, I recreated a Christmas album using Nintendo, but not only that, I made them sound like Nintendo games. You know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, okay. So not only, you know, it's, it's, it's adding challenges upon challenges. And I think most people can recognize that whether or not they appreciate that, you know, that it's up to them. But I think most people can at the very least recognize the, the feat that, that has been either accomplished or attempted in that scenario. Right. Now, say so 8-Bit Jesus is one of the first things you did. And we're going to flash way forward. That 8-Bit mm-hmm. Jesus, what, that was 1999? Do I remember that right? No, I want to say 2006 or seven. Oh, okay. It was yeah, it was it was definitely like mid to late two thousands. Um, yeah, I wasn't making much good music. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't making much music. Period. Until I was, you know, probably like two thousand five. Okay. Up, up until then, I you know I still play piano and I and I would you know write songs occasionally, but mostly I just played Ben Fold songs all the right. time. <laughs> that was kind of my my go to. Right. So to to go forward now, just the other day I saw that you have a, a GoFundMe or a account. Is it GoFundMe or a Kickstarter? Uh, Kickstarter. A, a Kickstarter account uh, to make a vinyl version of your um, of your uh, chiptune remake of uh, the Flaming Lips Soft Bulletin. Yeah. The so title that, is. What's the title? Uh, soft Soft Bits in. Right. Is the. Uh, I always try to find a title that you know is is relevant to the source material, um, and not not to cut off the the you know soft Bolton talk because I know that's kind of you know one of the, the things you want to focus on. But I actually, so I actually did that Kickstarter a year ago, and sure. I put it up early. I want to say early March, like March first, oh. and then COVID hit. <laughs> so ah, ah, ah. I kind of had this mindset. You know, it was I was maybe about thirty percent funded uh, a week or two into the campaign, and um, it was, it was one of the situations where I was like, you know what? I should probably cancel this. Like, even if it gets funded, um, I probably, like, I just, I just felt guilty. I was like, the world is, is going to, to shit right now. Like I cannot in good conscience, like 
fun to a gimmick or you know a whimsical you know cover album like this you know when people you know even if people don't know it now they might back this campaign and be in for fifty dollars a hundred dollars two hundred whatever they you know tier they backed and then down you know two months from now they lose their job and they can't feed their family i'm gonna feel guilty about that <laughs> so i had to cancel the campaign so there was that but even the year prior to that i had done pretty much the same thing with in the airplane over the sea by Nutrimilk Hotel. So that was actually my first foray into both covering a, an entire album, you know, front to back using chiptunes and also putting it on vinyl. And it was an idea I kicked around for a long time. I actually had a buddy back when, pretty much right after I released 8-Bit Jesus, that was like, oh, you should do like a, a Death Cab for Cutie cover album and put it on vinyl. He's like, like, indie kids would eat that shit up. <laughs> he kind of inspired the original concept of putting chiptunes on vinyl which obviously plenty of other people have done over the years or, or cassette tape you know all these you know retro and classic mediums are coming back in full force with you know these days like gen like millennials and, and gen z apparently love the idea of playing music on things that they didn't even know existed until you know <laughs> their their they saw it and were like what what's that and they're like oh that's what we used to use for music yeah. <laughs> you know so um, yeah, so that so that was like my first foray into it, uh, and that one did surprisingly well for what it was because that we talk about like a very specific target market for an idea and a and a I don't want to call it a product, but for a project, you know. And I realized like oh, I was like oh wow, there's this many people who both like Neutral Hotel and are in the idea of using Nintendo to recreate the album, and and not only that, but having it on vinyl specifically, not even like oh here's a CD or. I mean, obviously, the digital download was available as part of the campaign, but the bulk of the backers wanted the actual physical copy on vinyl. It's like interesting that there's that big of a a demand for you know this particular group covered this particular way on this particular medium, and it, it kind of it was kind of surprising to me. I didn't real, realize how much it could raise. You know, I just I set the amount at five thousand because that's that's the go-to amount, and I had, I had a buddy that. Uh, who's a filmographer and a, an editor, and he basically helped me create the uh, the kick the video for the Kickstarter, and um, he he he's done a lot of these kick type of Kickstarter videos for various clients over the years. And he's like, you can raise five thousand for anything <laughs> as long as you, you know, make a, make a good video and market it. Uh, and so that's kind of how I started there. And then so fast forward to you know the, this time last year, I decided okay, I wanted to do the same thing for the Soft Bolton. It's in my top five albums of all time. Flaming Lips is one of my favorite groups. Um, yeah, it's like just a huge amount of respect for the, their process, really, because they, they have an interesting story. And the Soft Bolton in particular is like the album, it, you know, at least in my opinion, but I'm pretty sure most people would agree that it's their best, if not one of their best. And also the album that kind of defined what they would sound like from that point on. And, and I think that's a that's hugely special, not, not only to the band and not only to me as a fan of them, but to all fans of, of you know, the flame lips. If you if you're you know if you like American Head, chances are you like the Soft Bolton because one would not have been made without the other. Is there a vinyl uh, vinyl version of uh, Soft Bit in, or will there be, or is that a, is there? There is one in existence because I had uh, much like I did for the Neutral Milk Hotel uh, project. I I had one lathe as a test copy just to get the physical medium on my hand. I could put it on the rec player and listen to the whole thing from front to back, just experience it for myself the way that people might eventually experience it. Uh, and, and it's also see how the volume levels translate to vinyl. Obviously a pressed vinyl is very different in some ways from, um, you know, lathe vinyl, but they're essentially the same medium. 
So I, I have that one, um, but as of now, yeah, the, it's the only one in existence uh, just for my own personal test copy because I had to cancel the campaign last year and I haven't, you know, relaunched the campaign quite ah. yet. It, it's, it's, I'm in that kind of gray area. I'm, I'm working on just getting people following the pre-launch page so that when the time comes, I'll have a decent enough number of people already aware and interested in the idea. Uh, and I'm also kind of waiting just to see how the vaccinations go to see it, it, once there's some, you know, semblance of, of normalcy, you know, that, then I'll know like, okay, now I feel okay about redoing this campaign, you know, no, no hate on people that are, were running campaigns this whole time and accomplishing that. It was just something I, I personally wasn't comfortable doing. And it was something that I wanted to just kind of make sure that, you know, everything would be in order when the time came to do it, because then you also have to consider how COVID has affected the, the pressing plant that I'm using or the, or the, the, the company that's creating the jackets and, you know, the posters or, or inserts or whatever else I'm going to be including as extras with the Kickstarter. So yeah, just, it's just, it, a lot goes into a Kickstarter and you can never be too prepared right. <laughs> for, for every, uh, you know, every, every possible wrong thing that could pop up. <laughs> so one of the things I thought was in, was, you know, an interesting challenge or interesting piece of the, you know, the musical puzzle was, you know, at eight bit Jesus, everything is logging in at a minute, minute and a half. But as far as I can tell, it looks like you're pretty much playing on these albums on the um, on uh, Soft Bit In and on the Neutral Milk Hotel album. You're more or less playing those songs at the album length. You're not editing yeah. them down to down to the minute and a half or two minute version. Yeah, absolutely, and that is, and that is one of the one of the additional challenges that I face is how do I take a track? Um, a, a really good example because it's the longest track on the album is O Comely on uh, in the airplane of the sea. It's a eight plus minute track. I think it's almost nine minutes if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and doing that in Chipton's, <laughs> it's not only a marathon to, to create that, but I mean, it does help that that song is kind of three songs in one um, or, or two, depending on how you break it down. Uh, but um, also the fact that it's just somber and, and Chiptunes is not a genre that's known for <laughs> depressing people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's supposed to be cheery. A lot of major chords or, or really powerful minor progressions that, you know, invoke like a, a sense of like action and, and, and uh, I don't know how else to put it, but yeah, you, you know, you know, you get what I'm, what I'm getting at here. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting track. It was funny as when I had, finished the album and recorded it all in lathe the test copy of that i brought it over to my friend ian's house who's a real big fan of folk music uh he has he has like a collection of like 20 banjo ukes <laughs> you know <laughs> he's like he's that kind of guy and then my friend michelle who's just kind of all over the place with the musical taste and they sat down and listened to the album all the way through because i wanted to get their honest opinion on it and when it got to that track i was like oh, i'll just get this one's too long and they're like no, no we want to hear the whole thing and i was a little surprised i was like oh but it's i just kind of thought it, it like drudged on a little bit and What's funny is as as a year you know year or two after since the album was released and I'll listen to it occasionally, um, just you know from front to back just to like reassess my own opinion of it and to see if oh here's something I would have done differently so I, I'll know to do that differently on a future album if I encounter a similar scenario. Um, that's actually become one of my favorite tracks because I actually feel like it it it's its representation of the original is more accurate than a lot of the other tracks on that album.
you know, being faced with these situations where I couldn't do something right the first time, so I had to do it a bunch of times to get it right, I learned that much more about how to do things right. And that's, you know, the same in, for anybody that's doing anything where they have to learn how to do, you know, because you, you don't go to school to learn how to use a Nintendo to create music. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you don't learn half the things you have to do with it to create music in any music-related course or experience outside of just chiptunes. It's a very unique approach to making music and yeah it is borderline programming in the way you think about it but it's still playing an instrument and learning how to play an instrument is there a song that you're particularly sort of proud of or you think you know where you really did have to take a few swings at it to get it right on uh on the flaming lips album uh honestly i mean so so on the flaming lips album i actually so i used a nintendo and a game boy in conjunction so it did give me a lot more freedom in you know, how to represent, you know, the album because I had more channels. So the Game Boy added, you know, another noise channel and three more t channels of tones. And, you know, two of those channels sound very similar to the first two channels on the Nintendo with the square waves. But then the third channel actually gives you a lot of different options as far as what kind of sound you're creating. And it lets you create anything from the same kinds of sounds that the first two channels make to the same channel that the third channel on the Nintendo, the one without volume control, that's just one tone, which is like close to like, just a, a, a sine wave. It's a, it's a triangle wave, uh, technically. So it's just like a more pleasant sounding tone. Um, but then it also gets in these real like visceral, like like almost like a, like a noisy bass sound, like a bass like being fed back through its own amplifier. You know, it's just like a saw wave uh, form is what it is. And you get lots of different variations of that as well. So it actually opened up a lot of, opportunities but because the soft bolton has an or like an orchestral backing half the time it it didn't really make it easier it just means there's more to cover and then i have to make more de decisions based on the limitations you know of each channel because there's still limitations but there's now there's just more channels but each one has different limitations so i still have to take all that into account when i'm deciding which channels i'm using to recreate each part and since i have more channels it can become a lot more confusing <laughs> when I'm trying to listen to a track. It, it, it got to the point where I was kind of working on the track slash playing it for a friend of mine who's borderline musical genius. Like he, he, he's like, he has perfect pitch and he can hear a thing and know exactly what it is. And he was picking stuff out that I didn't even notice in my own tracks, <laughs> which, which is very helpful. Um, but, you know, he helped a lot, you know, in that sense, but he, there'd be times where he was like, Oh, what's this sound in there? I'd be like, oh, I think that's on this channel. No, wait, I think it was on that channel. And then it took me a minute to figure uh, out uh, where uh, I, uh, uh, there's just too much going on sometimes. Um, and that becomes a challenge because when you have four channels that all make essentially the same sound, and it's these really basic sound waves, you know, there's there's no um variance in in what the actual sound wave does. So if you play two of them on top of each other, you get a very harsh uh not, it's not an echo, it's just, it's a, it's a chorus effect, you know, that you can use to your advantage if you like kind of detune one of them a little bit, or if you use one an octave higher, but it's one thing that you, for the most part, with very few exceptions, have to avoid doing when you, when creating chiptunes, is playing any two of the same kind of channel on the same note and at the same time, so that, that becomes just one more thing to, you know, challenge on top of everything else, but again, I like that aspect of it.
Thanks to Levi Buffum, Dr. Octorock, for the time and the talk. You can find his 8-bit remake of Neutral Milk Hotels in the Airplane Over the Sea and his 8-bit Jesus album, along with the rest of his projects at DrOctorock.com, Doctor Written Out. At this point, you can find a couple of tracks from his chiptune version of the Flaming Lips Soft Bulletin on YouTube and on SoundCloud, but the album itself is not yet on the market. If you have any comments, suggestions, songs, or interviews you'd like to hear, you can find me at 12 Songs of Christmas on Facebook or Alex at MySpiltMilk.com. If you haven't already done so, follow, subscribe, or do whatever you do wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, leave a review. I'd appreciate it if you did so. That helps others find out about 12 Songs. Thanks to AF The Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. Earlier in the show, I mentioned Nancy Wilson's version of the Christmas Waltz. I love that song and will want to focus more attention on it sooner or later. But since I linked it to the Mistletoe Jam earlier in the episode, it makes sense to play a few moments of it now. Talk to you next week. on his way He's filled his sleigh with things Things for you and for me It's that time of year When the world falls in love Every song you hear Seems to say Merry Christmas